So ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of What's Going On. This is just a very kind of informal, impromptu conversation between two friends about current events, and we'll define what those current events are as we go, but uh, Nikki and I have been friends in digital years. We've been friends since practically kindergarten. Exactly. And, <laughs> and we've been talking about what's been going on, especially uh, since in the, in the post-George Floyd um, sense of the, uh, of, of the current events. And we the conversations have been rich. The conversations have been honest and generous and vulnerable, sometimes accidentally insightful. And <laughs> we just thought that we'd start having them out loud and in public as a way of demonstrating that one of the ways that we're going to finally resolve this situation that we find ourselves in is when people that don't look like each other start to have conversations where they're not talking at each other, but they're unpacking ideas and events with each other. So I couldn't be more thrilled. Those of you who know me know me as Scott Perry, husband, father, teacher, musician from Floyd, Virginia. Maybe you know me as a member of the head coaching team for Seth Godin's Akimbo Workshops. You might also know me as chief difference maker and possibilitist at Creative On Purpose. I'm going to let my friend Nikki introduce herself. All right. I don't know. I don't know if I could follow possibilitist. I like that. All I have to do is make up words. I don't know. It makes my <laughs> mouth feel good. I don't know what's going on there. It's good. Um, hi, everybody. I am Nikki Lerner. I am a culture coach, I'm an artist, I'm an author, I speak, uh, I do all kinds of things, and uh, my goal really is to help people and organizations um, not only live a more diverse uh, expression of their lives uh, in work and personal life, but also a lot of times work as a cultural translator, because uh, mm -hmm. a lot of times that's part of our issue in trying to talk about culture is we're not speaking the same language. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, just to highlight, this is our fourth or fifth conversation. I think our fourth. It's mm -hmm. our fourth. So, you know, we um, got off to a start just like talking about what, what we're going to talk about. Then we talked a little bit about terms and like, mm -hmm. you know, what, what do we mean when we use terms like racism, prejudice, white privilege, dominant culture, and so forth. So if you're interested, definitely go back and check check out some of those um but i lo love what you're saying about cultural translator because you know this is this is part of the problem is that we're using the same words but they don't mean the same thing to everybody uh and you uh one of the things that i love about the way you approach this is you think deeply about like the context in which the words are being used so Maybe, Nikki, just a quick, a quick summary of some of that terminology and some of that context that we've talked about in the past. Excellent. Great way to start. Um, so, yes, I am a very high context kind of person um, in conversation. I feel like it really helps me. And, and honestly, uh, it, it is a, um, it's a strategy, if you will, to help all of us, particularly when we feel offended, um, is to step back for a minute and say, what is the context uh, of the conversation that we're having? Because if we put all things in just this gigantic context, 
Well, of course you're going to be offended by everything that you hear because now the context is literally everything is personal. But this, so, so hear this as a strategy um, to put things in context. Let me also say that uh, about this language thing, uh, I can't, I don't think I've said this uh, when you and I have been talking, Scott, but I know I've said it sometime, somewhere before, but it, it's when we as Americans try to talk about uh, culture uh, or issues as it relates to culture and ethnicity, um, oftentimes I say it's kind of like some of us are speaking Korean, some of us are speaking Japanese, and we don't understand why we can't talk because we say that we're all Asian, right? Like that that's kind of what we're doing in the country. We're all Americans, we all speak English, right? But the language through which we use to talk about issues of race are very, very different. Um, so um, let me tell you, break down a couple of things that you will hear Scott and I use um, that makes sense to us, I think now, um, but might, uh, either distract you or I don't want them to trip you up um, when you hear them. So what you'll hear from me a lot of times is when we're talking about uh, issues, um, I prefer the word ethnicity as to race because um, race is we are the human race, right? Ethnicity is uh, the people group that we come from. Um, but also know if you hear the term race, uh, don't let that trip you up. Just know that a lot of people are using the terms race and ethnicity kind of inter interchangeably, all right? So again, don't let that trip you up in the conversation. Also, a couple of terms to think about is you may have heard terms like uh, whiteness or white supremacy or majority culture. Just know that oftentimes uh, I will usually use the term majority culture or white American if I'm talking about uh, the dominant culture. Um, so just know that. Uh, the idea of whiteness usually will be used as um, not necessarily, well, again, depending on the person you're talking to, not necessarily about white ethnicity, but about this idea of kind of stripping culture from all people everywhere in order to form a, a lane of sameness, right? Um, to kind of navigate. So just know that. And then when, if you hear a term like white supremacy, that usually just is in reference to, you know, not uh, KKK hoods and Nazi flags. And although that is a form of white supremacy, just know that usually these days when people are using that term, they're using it as one culture uh, in America here, usually white American, that kind of has um, uh, most of the power, um, the power dynamic in our country. So those are some things uh, just to, to think about. Uh, also, when I use culture, I love the word culture because uh, every ethnicity has so much diversity within its culture. Um, so I love using the term culture. Uh, did I miss anything, Scott? No, I think that's that's really, really great. I mean, you know, some of these terms are just, they're hot button terms, depending again on who's using them and in, in what context. And I think, I think it's, it's good to to define the terminology before we dive in because 
at least people will know what do we mean by these terms. And so, um, and I love, you know, I love the idea of the context. So the context, you know, the context that the container that Nikki and I are building are, we are thoughtful, considerate, loving people who don't want anybody to suffer. We want to see everybody have a chance to express themselves and flourish as far as they are able without impeding anybody else's right to do the same. And so this is not about blaming. This is not about shaming. This is not about finding any kind of ultimate truth because there's there's no right decisions here. There's just going to be all right decisions for right now. And we'll come up with better decisions as we go. So when we're talking about race, one of the reasons why, why Nikki and I are avoiding using that term too much is because it doesn't matter. There's nothing that distinguishes, nothing worth talking about that's different between a white person and a black person. There's no nothing from biology, evolution, psychology that is worth unpacking any further. So we are all members of the human race. Some people come from peoples that, that originated in Africa. Some of us come from some from peoples that originated in Europe. We look a little bit different. I don't know that how much further we have to take <laughs> take that train. And then um, white supremacy, I, I like using dominant culture. It's hard for people that look like me to understand this because we've been swimming in white dominant culture all our lives. And when you've been swimming in water all your life, it's hard to know that you're swimming in water. It's just like we breathe air all our lives. Are you thinking about the fact that you're breathing air? No, it's just what's all around you all the time. And all you have to do is look at the composition of any corporate board, any academic institution, etc., to know that the distribution is not the same as it is demographically across this country or the globe. And so what we're talking about is how, and, and culture to me is the thing that we share. People like us do things like this. And it's the thing that we can work together to change in the pursuit of improving the culture so that everyone can feel welcome, so that everyone can feel seen, heard, understood, and be treated the same while they pursue whatever opportunities that they seek to pursue. So just, uh, yeah. just re-highlighting some of the things that, that Nikki already said. So I'd also, before we get into the, the main question today, which is w what do we do next? Because <laughs> we've been talking about what's been, you know, we've, 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 this is, we've spent three episodes talking about what's going on. But in terms of what's going on, um, George Floyd uh, is, you know, still the one that everybody remembers. But I know that you're, you know, I mean, we could go all the way back uh, to the 1600s. We don't have to probably go that far back today. But, you know, what are the, what are some of the events that have brought this this problem back into the national spotlight. Hmm. There are so many. Gosh, I mean, certainly there is um, the most recent, and I can tell you from my experience over the last couple of months, um, from a 
uh, an African American experience that, you know, there was a whole, there was probably about six weeks where, man, it was tough. It was tough uh, getting up in the morning and keeping hope, mm-hmm. honestly. And I'm, a, I'm naturally hopeful. Um, but it was hard when we kind of started with Ahmaud Arbery and then Breonna Taylor and then George Floyd and then to go back beyond that, uh, uh, Philando Castile um, in, in Minneapolis. Um, uh, gosh, so many. Trayvon Martin, remember him? Yeah. Yep. Uh, Tamir Rice, you know, these guys, um, these people, uh, Sandra Bland. Like, I mean, literally, we, we could not, um, the list is, just continues to go on. And not only those things, right? But then there are other things that I think are part of the national consciousness that start to get put into these things as well. Um, I mean, you know, you and I don't talk a whole lot of politics, but I mean, we gotta be real with the fact that, you know, our latest election really started to unearth uh, the ways that people think differently about their experience in the country, right? I mean, that's just fact your fact. Uh, not only that, what has been going on with COVID and how COVID is both uh, started off as personal mm-hmm. and now it is now personal and political um, mm-hmm. and how that factors into things. Um, how we have been experiencing um, more protests, peaceful protests than ever before, right? Like that's coming into it. People's financial strange. I mean, Scott, we are just living in a an incredible time uh, right now, the things that we are experiencing. And somebody actually said this to me a couple of days ago. Um, th- the crazy thing about it is that while the expression of these things are new, these things are not new. Right. Right? Like, as a, as a human race, right? We've gone through things like this before and in each generation the expression of it is different mm-hmm. right but now we need to figure out okay now what is appropriate for a 2020 right. uh, set of people right and going and going forward now we have more information than we've ever had we have more technology than we've ever had I believe we actually have more connection than we than we've ever had cross-culturally to take some steps in the right direction. Um, yeah. Oh, I just, so you listed off a bunch of individuals who have had violence brought against them unjustly, and people can go and do their homework and, and come to their own conclusions about that. Mm-hmm. But there's not a single white person on that list. And this is the problem, is that, again, when we look at distribution of of people of color in our boardrooms and institutions, it reveals something. And when we look at the makeup of prison populations, it says something. And again, since there is nothing racial to justify this situation, it's time to acknowledge the problem. And one of the things about acknowledging the problem, I think, is we have got to resist the urge to, and you were speaking to this, personalize the problem. 
because this is what I'm up against when I'm talking, you know, when I spend time talking to my friends, Nikki and, and other friends that come from historically marginalized populations, I'm just listening because I don't know. I've been swimming in the waters of white dominant culture for so long. I don't, even though I've been around it, even though I've certainly, as a musician, you know, played with plenty of black musicians and so forth, taught in black schools in Chicago, I still don't know. It doesn't matter if I worked in the shadow of Cabrini Green back in the day, I still don't actually know what it feels like to live an experience where you have to be always aware of who's around you and you, you know my feeling of being pulled over by a cop is very different than most of my friends who are um, african-american but so acknowledging the problem and divorcing it from your experience like let's just state the problem plainly we have a country that was that became a flourishing economy because it was built on the backs of slave labor. We fought a war that almost divided the nation over slavery. Historical facts. I know that you can talk about states' rights and blah, 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 blah. Look at the Articles of Secession. Look what was really at the heart of the conflict. Look at what our success rate is with legislating a solution to this problem. You know, we ended slavery. We had an Emancipation Proclamation. We amended the Constitution. We amended again with the Civil Rights Act. We have did, did school busing. We did, we did, we did, all coming from the top down, and here we are in 2020 facing the same, witnessing something that we just don't need to put up with anymore. We have to acknowledge the problem, and let's work the problem as a citizenry rather than letting the politicians mm. work us with the problem. Scott, so let me say this uh -huh. based on what you said. So I'm just gonna gonna poke a little bit and reverse engineer something that, that we're talking about. So let's just say that you're a person who's listening and you're like, I am taking it personal. And I have taken it personal, right? Okay. So let's Let's start there then. If, if you're taking it personal, well then what do you do with that, right? When you hear about the history of the country and you feel like that it reflects uh, poorly on you as a person. Well, what happens normally is, I think probably for most people in what I call the majority middle, we're not talking about extremists here. We're talking about everyday people like you and me just trying to live our lives, right? That when you hear that and your heart is not to be a, a part of any kind of system or a people group that oppresses another, then, then the first question, if you're going to personalize it, is, okay, now what do I do with this information, right? Most of us, when we hear something that somebody is saying we've been a part of, we feel uh, a sense of shame, a sense mm. of embarrassment, mm. uh, a sense, it's kind of like when people first started talking about the idea of privilege. Like, for, I know even for most of my, um, my white American friends, that is like the last word you want to hear in a conversation. Because 
not because you may not even not believe it. It's just like, oh God, like, oh, don't look at me, right? You have that moment of like, don't look at me. I don't even want to go there. It feels horrible. It sounds horrible, right? But the thing is, is that can you just look at information as information? And then did it figure out what to do with it? So um, I heard something interesting. I was listening to a Brene Brown podcast the other day. And she was talking about shame. I love her work, right? And What is she, she not saying, talking about shame? I know, right? <laughs> but man, it's such a great conversation because that is essentially what is happening around the, the conversation on race. Is there's a lot of shame to go around and shaming. Yeah. And so she, she, and in her work, she's saying that, you know, to, to feel shame is to essentially say, I am bad. Not that something bad happened or I did something bad or whatever it is, right? As soon as you start to declare, I am inherently bad, you will not move forward and you will always play defense. Literally, always play defense. And so if you're not able yet to depersonalize um, information that you hear to move forward, then start start with what you got if you're personalizing it find out how are you processing this are you processing it from a shame perspective because if you if you feeling shame about it um then that's going to be harder to deconstruct and you will lean into people that think like that uh voices leaders whoever that will will drag you that way rather than trying to lean in and say, what can I learn from this, right? So I have a lot of um, empathy for a person who, who internalizes that. And we all do it with things in our life, right? Like our entire life. But we have to have an awareness as a person when we are even shaming ourselves with things that we don't necessarily want to look at. Well, there's some really good juicy stuff to maybe just dive in a little bit deeper on there because I think you're making some really excellent points and what I want to tag on is we see a lot of shame and we see a lot of outrage right now. And we can react or respond to that. If we react, it's likely that we will re that that it will not end well because when we re when we respond when we react, we are usually in a highly charged emotional, maybe even irrational posture. When it, whereas when we respond, we're being a little bit more thoughtful, deliberate, and checking in with our intention and our integrity before we go flying, uh, you know, flying in. So one of the frames that I've played with in the past is um, the idea that, you know, outrage and shame can be useful compasses. If we can just pause for a minute and hold it away from ourselves and say, like, what is this actually, like, what, what, is, what is this pointing to? What's really going on? Because shame and outrage are invitations you don't have to accept. I mean, they are mm. natural, <clears throat> they are natural mm. responses to stimulus mm -hmm. or stimuli. But that doesn't mean that you have to. Mm -hmm. It just means, and so, but, you know, this is the, you know, this 
speaking of the human race, this is the condition, right? We are creatures with this little pea-sized thing at the top of our spine, the amygdala, that only knows how to do two things. One is, you know, lash out and react, you know, aggressively, and the other is to, to, to flee. And so the fight-or-flight instinct is strong. So important to be able to, to pause, wait until you've calmed down a little bit, hold the situa situation away from yourselves a little bit, maybe be a witness for a little while, maybe get some additional perspectives, maybe take a look and see if you can be a little bit more, a little less judgmental and a little bit more considerate, a little less certain and a little more curious and try to determine what's really going on. And then if you're doing that with and for other people, you know, thinking about how can you approach this with the better angels of human existence like reason, consideration, compassion, mm -hmm. empathy. Um, yeah. And so, let me say too, Scott, that I, mean, I feel very passionately about this. We need to stop trying to trap each other. <laughs> I mean, I, I just, I never thought I would actually see the day, and this is my opinion, by the way, warning, warning, it's my opinion. Um, I never thought I would see the day when we would literally start to uh, interact with each other in person like we do on social media. Yeah. I thought like, okay, it's just social media. People are kind of anonymous, you know. It's kind of like being in your car and somebody cuts you off and if you want to cuss them out if that's who you are. Like, you wouldn't cuss them out if they were standing on the street, probably. Maybe some of you would. But, you know, like, that's probably not going to happen. But now I feel like um, no matter what we say about anything, I'm talking about what's going on, we are constantly trying to trap one another in false data. Right? right? And even that is a complete, that, that's one of the, the areas where we are having two completely different conversations. So for instance, um, with people I coach sometimes, one of the things that they'll ask is, can you help define some terms, right? And they're trying to move towards a more diverse life. Mm -hmm. And usually some of the, uh, you know, one of the things people want to ask me about is, can you talk about critical race theory? And what I really want to, what I really want to say is, well, two things. A, I think you're asking the wrong question. Mm -hmm. And B, how, how is that going to move you closer um, to being more understanding of your next door neighbor? Yeah. Like, wh where are these questions leading you to? Where is a piece of data leading you to? Um, because it all feels like a trap. Um, and I think we, it's one of the places I think for all of us, because I do it too. It may not be around culture and race, but it's certainly around other things in life. I've done it. Um, we need to just give each other some space um, to, I love how you said, be a little less certain. Um, that, that will be part of our downfall as, as a culture of Americans. Um, is, and I think that's ingrained in all of us cross-culturally, 
-hmm. We are just so sure all the time that we are the best, that we know what's best, that we do it best, whatever it is, right? I mean, think about the time when you realized that being an American was a culture group, right? And you just didn't think, well, I'm just a person, normal. The, the rest of the world should, you know, cater to me. I remember, it's kind of a tangent and then I'll stop. But I remember <laughs> um, being in, in France uh, last year, year before last, anyway, I was in France. And people kept telling me like, French people are so rude. Have you heard like heard this stereotype oh, of French yeah. people? Like French people are so rude. And I was like, um, okay. So I went just open and I didn't have time to learn a whole lot of French before I went to France. It's my only regret. Right? So everywhere I went, I had to keep asking French people if they spoke English. So who's rude? Is it them or is it me? in my American English self, right? Thinking that when I go to France, somebody's gonna know how to speak English. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, I I'm saying that to prove a point of, um, man, we could just be more curious well, it's, it's... about the world that we live in and ask more questions and make less statements. Yeah, well, you, you, you began by t touching on something that I think is really crucial and when as we're moving into what do we do next i think this is at the heart of it is we live right now in a cancel culture and yes. you and i had this conversation i had this conversation with myself okay because i've been told it's time for people that look like you to shut up and listen and so right. i shut up and i listened for a long time I mean, for in Scott Perry terms, a long time, you know, a long time could be a couple hours, but I actually did it for weeks. <laughs> for weeks, I shut up and listened. Uh -huh. And at a certain point, I felt like, okay, I get it. I, you know, I, I have a better understanding of the problem and I have a better understanding of the perspective that I did not fully understand. So what are we going to do next? And in some of the circles that I'm moving in i'm told it's still too early like you need to keep shutting up and then and and i'm thinking well how are people that look like me going to get a better understanding of what's going on unless we're engaged in conversations about what's going on with people that don't look like me and we do those conversations out loud and in public knowing i mean i i i know i'm saying some stupid stuff right now in, in this conversation today and i've said stupid stuff in the past but i am in pursuit of a of of making things better and of arriving at deeper truths and so i'm willing to take the chance I, i'm willing to get canceled if you know because if, you, if i'm if i get canceled by somebody that's somebody i probably don't need yes. around anyways Yes. I'm, I'm looking, so culture, people like us do things like this. We have a moment, all of us, regardless of what you look like and where yes. you come from, to say, I, I am deeply invested in making things better, and that means I'm going to have to have difficult, challenging conversations about things, things I don't fully understand, but through those conversations and through doing the work uh, of trying to make things better, 
I will come to a deeper understanding, I will come to better versions of the truth, and we will actually make progress. That's right. There's a time for productivity, there's a time for study and planning and discussions, but learning that does not lead to action is useless. And if we don't start doing something with the, the, the things that we're learning, and if we don't continue to move the conversation forward, then uh, we're going to be stuck in the same old rut that we find ourselves in all these weeks yeah. later. We've been, we've, been, yeah. we've been doing this for what feels like a really long time. Yeah. I think everybody's starting to get exhausted. When we get exhausted, all that does is leave the door open for legislation and legal solutions, and we don't need more of those. Right. We need human solutions yes. to this deeply human problem. Um, that we should have dealt with and acknowledged and, or should have acknowledged and dealt with right. a long, long time ago. You know, uh, Marie Forleo has this really brilliant quote. She says, um, clarity comes from engagement, not thought. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I think that is just the most brilliant thing, right? So you're absolutely right. Um, you cannot think your way into a better culture around how we converse with each other and respect one another around our, our eth ethnic come froms. You can't think your way. You have to practice it. Like mm -hmm. a, a multicultural world, a multicultural workspace or life or whatever is a practice. Like you have to get your hands into it, right? Like, you know, I can't, I can't wish a garden in front of my house you know like i'm gonna have to take some action at some point whether i do it or i get somebody else to do it you know like something has to happen what's well, the same thing and, and and i would just tell you just to affirm you as my friend um of people continuing to tell you or even people that are watching it watching like nope not time yet not time yet nope don't say anything yet my question would be well then when Right. What is is it February of 2021? Is that when it is? Is is it June of 2021? Because I would just like to put it on the calendar. Right. You know when it's okay. We could now. be working on other things. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Like I need to make sure I circle it on the calendar because the reality is nobody knows, right? right. And you can't always just go by a feeling. Now, what I can say is that. For all of us, no matter what we experience in our life, no matter what's going on, right? There is a time to learn, right? There is a time to pause and a time to learn, stop speaking and to learn. You know, when my uh, people in my close circle that are Asian Americans, when COVID started and there was, uh, you know, there was racism happening all over the country towards Asian Americans around COVID, right? That was not my time to start talking about, you know, uh, everything I knew about what it feels like to be Asian during COVID. Like, no, no, no. As a black American, my, my response then is to shut up, ask questions and listen to my Asian American friends, right? And then maybe I say something, maybe I don't. I don't know, but it's certainly time to stop and listen. But if I just gain all of that information 
and then never do anything with it, that then leads to frustration, right? It's like being in a someone's apprentice, um, learning all of the uh, a new trade and never actually get getting to do the work. I mean, can you imagine if somebody was teaching you how to be a house builder and you just have all this stuff in your head, you never once actually put your hands on some wood? I mean, how frustrating and demoralizing is that? Well, well here is the reality, the way I see it, is that um, everybody that's learning now and reading, and it's awesome, right? Listening, there's gonna have to be some lanes for people to literally practice the work now. Yeah. Because you can't just have it all be information. And I would encourage you, particularly if you're part of the white American culture, um, you know, I was actually recording a podcast today for my, my podcast about this with a friend. There is a perfectionist culture that is around Americans in particular, but definitely with white Americans, in my, my opinion. Um, saying the right thing, make sure I get it right before you, you know, Seth always talks about this, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, trying to overthink things before you ship it, you know, like, uh, but you have to know that in this work, and look at my face when I'm saying this, in this work, there's no such thing as being perfect. There's no such thing as getting it right. There's no such thing, like you just have to get in there and learn and engage and take a risk. Yeah. Another thought leaps to mind. Yeah. Um, and that is what you and I have initiated here and what you and I are initiating in other conversations, um, which is because we are a historically divided country, we find ourselves often living next door to people that look like us, going to schools with people that look like us, going to church with people that look like us, um, and we are creatures prone to confirmation bias, you know, when, in terms of the discussions we're having in our own head, but then we put ourselves in these echo chambers of sameness and all we're doing is confirming, reconfirming all the biases that we've already confirmed for ourselves. So. My, one of the things that was really important when I said, hey, Nikki, you want to you want to try something <laughs> was it, it was, you know, just in all transparency, I wanted to talk to somebody that didn't look like me. And I wanted to start surrounding myself with people that don't look like me because I need to pop that bubble that I'm living in so, so that I can see that I'm swimming in water, that I'm that I have grown up all my life in this culture that I can't see because it's the only culture I've ever known. So just this idea of, you know, when we're talking about diversity, when we're talking about inclusion, again, what we're talking about is the importance of starting where you are, recognizing where you are, and then taking the smallest possible step, which is to say, hey, could we have a can we have a conversation? Can we can we have a conversation where there are no right answers? Can we 
can can you tell me a little bit more about what you're experiencing? Can I ask you some questions that might sound really stupid, um, or that that feel like they might sound stupid to me? And just to kind of unapologetically reacquaint yourself with the 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 wonder of not knowing, the miracle of you know possibility, and attach that to use um, my new friend Natalie Nixon's phrase, to, you know, the, attaching our wonder, our sense of wonder to our capacity for rigor, to actually lean in and do the work, mm-hmm. to, to fulfill some of that wonder, to mm-hmm. lean into the wonder, to try to get deeper understanding so that we can connect more dots, because we don't need, you know, this is what we were just talking about. Yes, we could read books, we could have roundtable discussions, we could have forums, we could have hearings on the floor of the esteemed establishments of our nation and collect more dots. How many more freaking dots do we need? We got dots. How can we connect those dots in a way that moves the conversation and moves the culture forward into a better possibility? Uh, yeah, I, lo- I love thinking about all of that. Um, and there were, there were two things that came to mind while I was listening to you. And one of them is this, is, you know, what the intentionality mm-hmm. of relationship and the intentionality of diversity is necessary. And I know that um, for most people that is very uncomfortable. Like the idea that you would want to intentionally diversify your life ethnically. Like that sounds weird, right? Because we think as humans, we're just drawn to who we're drawn to and it's just natural and it's, you know, but we have to remember that we will be drawn to people who are like us. It's just how the brain works, right? So if we know that, then we can supplement, right? That natural ability with this practice of intentionality in our friendships and in our relationships and in our work life, right? And so what that then breeds, starting in relationship, is the fact that, you know, Scott, as my friend, like, I need you mm-hmm. and I need your cultural experience. And just because you're white doesn't mean that I don't need uh, parts of your come from that will in inherently rich enrich my life right um you know one of the things we talk about in in, uh these culture conversations is how so many white americans again generalization think very individualistic right um and i've actually had some friends some white friends of mine say that sometimes when they see different uh other ethnic communities like coming together around something they're like oh I wonder what that feels like, you know, like we, cause we don't really have that, you know, that's how I feel. But I'm part of a, again, generally a culture that tends to be more collective, right? Mm-hmm. So we feel things together. Sometimes we can think things together. That's why just pro tip here, guys, if you love the phrase group think, just know that every time you say that, that you are dismissing, um, most of the world's uh, cultural come from that is collective, not groupthink. Groupthink is something very different. 
you have to know what you're talking about. Just be very intentional with your language. So the collectiveness, it's good for me to hear from my white friends about their individualness because that's helpful to me, right? It's helpful to me even as a person that is not part of the majority. It's a reminder for me in a really good way mm. that like, sure, I'm part of an ethnic group, but I'm also just Nikki. Right. And I can be just Nikki now in 2020. Like I can't, right? I, I, I am far enough removed from even my ancestors that now I don't have to necessarily be part of that in its whole. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it's, it's really funny that you're saying all this because um, I'm in a group of, with a group of um, several hundred people that are writing in community and I'm writing my next handbook. And I was getting to this place where I had to write about interconnectedness. And you know me and you know my work. It tends to be a little kind of on the practical, pragmatic side. So, you know, when I start talking about interconnectedness and we're all one and, you know, human beings need each other and all this stuff, yeah. I'm, I'm like, oh, this is really feeling kind of woo um, to me. So, Love it. you know, I, I, I was so careful about it. And, and, and when I finally published um, to this group, uh, you know, it was so well received. It's like, oh, thank God, you know, they don't think I'm a, 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 a flaming woo monster uh, just trying to manifest my destiny into existence. Anyway, what, so everything that you just said really resonates. I mean, so we're interconnectedness and I, I'm also thinking like integration. So what you were just saying, you are Nikki, you are a, this person and yes, you are a wife, you are a friend, you are a church member, you are a coach, you are, you know, you have like all these compartments, maybe the, not compartments, but you have all these lanes that you travel in at various times in your day. But you're also just like Nikki all the time. Like you're just Nikki. You're Nikki wherever yeah. you go. doesn't matter what you're doing. Yeah. And you're Nikki part of this rich cultural come from that informs and inspires who you are. Yeah. And you're Nikki in the broader context of the American experience, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yes. And you're Nikki, citizen of the planet Earth. That's right. <laughs> in the Milky Way. That's right, yeah. You know, and you just keep going on and on and on. And the, the, that's, this is, this is, so everything that you said about like, you know, I agree that people that look like me tend to think, you know, I'm a self-made man. I've, I've, I've made my way in the world. Nobody gave me nothing, you know, and I got some things to say about that, but I'll save that for another conversation. Um, it is impossible if you really think about it to divorce yourself from the fact that the only reason that you exist is because others exist around you there Absolutely. is no possible way that any being on this planet makes it through this life entirely alone you can say well i built my house okay who milled the lumber who made the tools who sold you the you know i mean and on and on and on so yeah. this idea these aren't exclusive ideas it's not you're either an indiv individual or you're part of a group right you're both 
we are sufficient as we are as individual human beings and within the broader context of our family, our friends, our communities, our counties, states, countries, globe, etc. So we don't, it's, it's not either or, it's this and. And it, I think that has a, a lot, um, I mean, there's, there's a lot there. Like we don't have to define ourselves by one thing. And, and I just want to circle really quickly back to the idea of, you know, catching somebody with a, uh, a vocal misstep or a behavioral misstep and saying, gotcha, you're canceled, you're wrong, you're an evil person because you didn't understand, you, you had a human moment where you didn't do just exactly what you should. That's, you, we can't define each other by our worst thoughts and behavior. We can't define this culture by its worst thoughts and behavior. And we can't do the same for the, the entire human race. I mean, we have made some serious mistakes and we have the capacity always to improve and make things better. And yeah. we have to lean into that and, and have that one of the things that you were talking about earlier, the word that came up was grace. Grace for ourselves and grace for our, each other. We have to have that as our default posture. We are going to allow ourselves to have clumsy conversations and wrong initiatives or initiatives that lead to dead ends and um, blind alleyways because the only way that we're going to get through the out, out of this is to go through it and and there is no there's no roadmap yeah there's just a bunch of us you know with a compass and not all of us got got a compass that's working right, right. now right and and relationships are key i mean they really are like you said you know um i think we might have said this last week too you can't legislate the heart you just can't I mean, you can set laws around um, keeping people safe and those kinds of things, but you you can't legislate um, human transformation in that regard. Um, and so that's why our relationships are key. Um, just know that, you know, when we have diversity of any kind in our personal world, like we're not gonna die. Um, you know, I, I don't wanna be around I don't want my entire life to center around blackness and black people. Um, I don't want my entire uh, world to center around women. I don't want my entire world to center around tall people. Um, I know you've actually never seen me in person, Scott, but I'm tall. I'm like six feet on the floor, man. Um, but you know, like I don't need to be around a bunch of tall people all the time. I don't need to be a bunch around somebody who votes like me all the time. You know. I don't want that. What a boring existence. I'm much more alive when I'm surrounded by the, the beautiful diversity of um, this country um, and this world. And life is just so much more enriched. I, I know more, I have more perspective. I'm challenged more in my own, in my own heart. And I think honestly, for most of us, it's really what we want in the end. So yeah. I'm committed to working towards it. Yeah, absolutely. 
Well, any any endeavor that's worth your time, effort, and talent is going to be challenging. And to what you were just saying, you know, just go to the science and see what science says about monoculture. Not very resilient, not very long-lasting. It's easy to take down. We need diversity. Um, so um, we have a hard stop today at one. We, yeah, we, here's we, our 30 minutes. Welcome, welcome to another 60 minute, 30 minute conversation That's with great. Nikki and I Scott. Love it. I love it. <laughs> but um, just let, let, let's each um, leave with just a, a final closing thought on, you know, what, what might we do next? Well, I would say that the next step would be what is the easiest way to diversify my experience today? That is the next smallest step. Love it. My encouragement is to think a little bit more about, to ask yourself the question, what if? When you catch yourself stating declaratively things that cannot possibly be absolutely known to be true, cannot be scientifically vetted and, and proven or disproven, um, to just be a little more considerate and a little less judgmental and to be a little bit more curious and a little less overconfident that you have all the information or um, you know, have arrived at a conclusion conclusion that's um, correct. And then the other is just accept that there's abundance in the world. Mm. We, you know, we possess everything. Each and every one of us possesses everything we need to thrive and flourish already right now. We have never in our history as a race, human race, had more prosperity and opportunity. There's no shortage and mm. we don't have to it and if we think about playing the infinite game and stop trying to play the finite game and we think a little bit more expansively and a little less close-mindedly you know what what might happen good word Nikki Scott my friend yes we, we got a, a another one we're, we're gonna be on your home turf next week yes sir We'll figure out what we're going to talk about then. Figure but it out. I, uh, I love and appreciate you and your work and just your willingness to lean into these conversations with, um, yeah, with, without any net and without, without any clear destination of mine. I, I always learn so much from, uh, from listening to your insights and perspectives. So thank, thank you. you.